It's a sweet privilege to be back with you in the house of the Lord this morning in the beautiful state of Tennessee. I love you all dearly for Christ's sake, and uh, I hope God will bless our coming together. As we shared together last night from God's word, um, the Lord moves when and where as he pleases. And um, in all of my years in trying to preach the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, I have never learned to direct the Spirit of God. So please pray that God would see fit to crown us and to own us by manifesting his presence here this morning. Enjoyed, as always have, a sweet and delightful night in the home of Ronald and Karen Lawrence. There are many gracious individuals in the Old Baptist Church, many gracious children of God. There are none more gracious than Ronald and Karen Lawrence. They are delightful. And uh, it is one of the high watermarks of my life to have mixed my life with theirs by the providence of God. And there is no one, there is absolutely no one anywhere on the face of the earth that I had rather pull the gospel plow with than Chris Krause. I love him so much. And there's a long story to why I love him so much. I was commanded to love Chris Krause. I was. I love to tell this. <laughs> Whenever he moved to Florida, a long way from where he was raised. And my wife has the heart of a mother in her. And she's from Middle Georgia, and I married her to hear her talk the rest of her life. I just love her Middle Georgia accent. And so I went down to see him, and we came back, and we were sitting reflecting in our living room, and she was rocking in her chair and kind of fidgeting a little bit, she wrung her hand, she said, now David, we're gonna love Chris Krause. <laughs> He's a long way from home. He don't have any family here and we're gonna love him. And I said, yes ma'am, I'm, I'm for that, I'm with you. It's been the easiest command I've ever been ever, I've ever been given. Uh, I love him and his family so much and the way that he passionately serve his master. I want to read to you a very brief passage of scripture to be found in the book of Consolation. I love this book so much. I love all of God's word, but I have refreshed myself here again and again and again when I could find consolation nowhere else from God's word, I have bathed my soul and refreshed my spirit in the Psalms of the sweet psalmist of Israel. Psalm 18. Psalm 18. Whenever you go through difficulty in life, when you have trouble, as you have it. And I was very careful to say, if you have difficulty in life or if you have trouble. 
It's coming. If you haven't already experienced it, get a grip. It's on the way. And it's not God's fault. It's not his fault. The brokenness of this world that we see round about us, our God did not create this. He didn't make this. It was not his original design. If you want to see the world that God made as he made it, read the first chapter of the book of Genesis. And at the end of every day, it's good and very good. We can't say that at the end of all of our days today because we live in a broken world. And there are several things that we need to have in place inside of us as God's children, as a part of our belief system, our worldview, there are things that need to reside in us, truths, belief, essential fundamentals that need to resonate in us constantly if we're going to successfully navigate the brokenness of this world, and it doesn't matter whether you're young or whether you're old, brokenness is coming. You're going to experience it. One of the things that needs to reside in you that you constantly need to be embracing is what I call big God theology. You need to believe in a God and the Bible, the Word of God teaches that we have a God. Our God is a big God. And that He's bigger than the brokenness of your life in this world. Do you believe that? I believe God's bigger than my circumstances, don't you? I do. He's been bigger than every circumstance I've ever had. <clears throat> brokenness usually creates tightness, doesn't it? You ever had brokenness in your life to the point that you just felt like it's going to overwhelm you? The walls are coming in. They're caving in. It's getting close. It's getting tight. I have to have some relief. And panic sets in. The psalmist David, this psalm is whenever, whenever he's given relief from tightness that he's experienced in his life. Because he's been pursued. He has been pursued like a fox pursued by the hounds, by King Saul and the evil and wicked spirit that was driving him on against precious David. Relentlessly, Saul has pursued him and hounded him. Maybe you've had someone like that in your life who just wouldn't let go. A nemesis, an enemy. David knew he'd be his destruction. But these are the words of David in the day that God gave him rest from Saul. And David, look at verse 15. David speaks about big God theology. He says, this is the God that took care of him in all of his difficulties. Remember this. You have a big God taking care of you. Then the channels of the water were seen. And the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke, O Lord. At the blast of the breath of thy nostrils, he sent from above. He took me and he drew me out of many waters. David believed his God was big enough for his problems. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. 
He brought me forth into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. I like large places. Brother Chris, when he was putting me in the back of a car that was designed in such a way for me never to be in the back of it. <laughs> when he's put me in there last night, he said, you sure you want to get in there? See, he knows something about me that most of you all don't. I don't like tight places. I like large places. <laughs> and we have circumstances in life uh, sometimes. Now, when I was a little boy, uh, we used to dig. There was an overpass. It was not far from uh, where we lived out in the country. There was an overpass and it had been filled in by clay and we could work in. Now I'm talking about a little boy. If my parents had only known, they would have died a thousand deaths. We dug in there and we made a cave system that undermined. They probably had to spend a hundred thousand dollars to undo what we did in undermining that overpass. We built caves back at little, narrow, tiny caves. And the smaller and tighter, the better we liked them. And it was just, I never gave any thought to going in those places. You couldn't hem me up in one of those places now. So what made the difference? Because about 30 years ago, a young man came up behind me with a 38 and he cocked it at the back of my head. And he said, I'm going to kill you. And he held me there for hours on top of hours. And I... Uh, and there was, not, there was no way of escape. Now, listen, that's a terrible feeling. Wanting to be a long way from where you're at, and there's no way for you to get there. <laughs> and uh, I finally did, by the providence of God, I got away from the kidnapper, and I thank him, and I, and I thank him till this day. But that, that experience changed me. And uh, a few weeks after that, I was riding down the road with a deacon from a church. We were going to uh, buy a new car because the kidnapper had just torn mine to pieces. He was carrying me out to the place where he'd murdered another man. He was carrying me there to murder me. And God, in his infinite mercy, delivered me. So two weeks later, we're having to go buy Brother David a new vehicle. And we're going down the road, and I'm in the front cab of a, of a pickup truck. Had no backseat to it, just a standard cab pickup truck. It was Brother Lori Davis that was carrying me. And we were a few miles down the interstate from my home, and all of a sudden it seemed like that the whole world was coming in on, on top of me. I'd never experienced that in my life. And I said, you're going to have to stop and let me out. I can't stay in here. Stop. He said, what's wrong? I said, I just can't stay. I don't know what's wrong. And I had to get out and walk around on the side of the interstate. And he came around to where I was and took my hand. We Stood there together and prayed, and God brought peace. It's a lot better than it was, but I'm telling you, you're looking at a fellow that likes large places. I like room to run just in case. You don't know. David shares this with us. He brought me to a large place. And as God's people, we're going to have experiences in life that are going to hem us up, get us in a tight place. I want you to know that God is in the business of bringing his people to large places. He knows how to provide deliverance. It never gets too tight for God. The circumstance is never so complicated that God can't work it out. Let's listen. Look just very quickly at some of the tight places in David's life. See how God was able to deliver him. If he's able to deliver him, he can deliver you. And so Saul begins, the beginning of the journey. 
the beginning of his journey, there's going to be, David's going to be in tight places now. The king, now, now kings then, they were despotic and, and they were autocratic. That means they had the power of death and life in their word. And they could just summarily dispatch, arbitrarily dispatch individuals at their word, kill them and they were dead. And King Saul had declared David was a dead man and he had all of the military resources of the kingdom of Israel to, to go against little David. David had faithful, mighty men, but there were nothing to match the resources of King Saul and all of the nation's resources coming against King David. And David begins his journey. At the beginning of his journey, I want to encourage you to do this. First of all, keep big God theology inside of you. When you get in tight places, remember God is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. He is able to bring you into large places no matter your circumstances because he's a great big God. Remember this. The star breather is your God. David says that he hath made the... Listen, David says this is the God that we serve. This is the God that he's master over your circumstances. The sweet psalmist David says that, that God has made the host of the heaven, that is, the stars of heaven, which are past numbering, trillions of them by most recent counts, the best testament, several trillion stars in the known universe. And the psalmist David says that God has made them... By the breath of his mouth, our God is a star breather. How did God create the universe? He just went, <sighs> stars rolled off the tip of his tongue. I believe I can trust a God like that with my circumstances, don't you? He can breathe out the sun. You can put a million earths in our sun. He can breathe out the sun. There it is. I'm trusting my circumstances. The second, so keep big God theology inside of you in your brokenness. He's able. He has resources that you can't begin to imagine. Then do this. God will do this for you. He'll give you experiences in life to prove to you that you can trust him. Right? You had those? At the beginning of this journey, whenever Saul declares against him, you're a dead man, I'm going, to have your, I'm going to have your life. At the beginning of the journey, David is given something. He's given a spiritual artifact that belongs to a previous experience in his life. He goes to the priest Ahimelech, and Ahimelech gives him something very special for his journey. And you know what it is? It's the sword of Goliath. That's what he's given at the beginning of this brokenness. And I'm telling you, we need to do this so desperately. Don't forget the previous, the former providential interventions of God in your life. Now listen, I know when things would get tight, David would have to take the sword of Goliath. And in taking that sword, it's a concrete, tangible token. If God can deliver me from a nine-foot warrior, the mightiest on the face of the earth, if he could deliver a little boy from a nine-foot warrior, certainly he can deliver me from, the king, from King Saul. And David has that evidence in his hand. You should have evidence in your life right now. You should be able, can't you look back over your life and see where God has providentially again and again and again delivered you contrary to circumstances. He made a way where there was no way, didn't he? Hadn't you had that experience in your life? Well, if he's done that for you previously, why wouldn't he do that again? It's, 
You have to believe that he's committed to you, don't you? Well, I just don't know. Brother David, how can I know that God's committed to me? He is committed to you at the level of the death of his son at Calvary. And if he is that committed to you, no good thing will he withhold from you. He that spared not his own son, delivered up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Look back to the previous providential interventions of God in your life. I do that. I'm telling you, I do that. Whenever I get in a tight place and I think, oh, Lord, how am I going to get us out of here? He reminds me, you don't have to get us out of here. I got you away from that kidnap. I trust him. I trust him. He's given me abundant reason to trust him. <clears throat> David makes a mistake right off in this journey. He goes down to the king of the Philistines, down in Achish in, in Gath. And the king of the Philistine, you know, and so you're going to make some mistakes in your journey. You're going to make some errors, some errors in judgment. Maybe we're not leaning in by faith to God and seeking him and work and, and trying to go on our own understanding. David makes some mistakes, but let me tell you, the Lord always holds up the leaning in. He does. Heard an old black brother pray that one time. He'd pray a little bit and he'd say, now, Lord, hold up the leaning in. And then he'd talk about something and Lord, hold up the leaning God's held up the leaning in in my life. David leaned into the wrong place. He went down to Philistines for help and Achish and ended up having to act like a madman to get out of there. Foaming at the mouth, wallowing around. You know, so he does. He gets out of there. God delivers him out of there. And then, you know, the Philistines attack. David's on his journey now. Saul's pursuing him. And while he's running from Saul, he hears that the Philistines attack the walled city of Keilah. Now David's going to lean unto God, not his own understanding. When he went down to Achish and Gath, he went to the king of the Philistines for help. And he ends up almost losing his life. He gets out by acting like a madman. Now he goes down to serve the Israelites in Keilah while... Saul is still pursuing him and the Philistines come against this city in Israel and they appeal to David for help. David goes, even though he's running for life, he delivers the city, dispatches the Philistines while he's dead. Now listen, he has just saved the lives of those people. They're going to be the most thankful people on the face of the earth, right? Uh, no, <laughs> that's human nature. Sometimes folks, you help the most, they'll do the least for you. You've experienced that. But that's not the reason we help folks. We help folks because God's helped us, right? Even if they don't do the right thing, that doesn't lessen our responsibility to do the right thing. So David served the Lord by serving the city of Keilah, and he gets down there, and, and he hears the Philistines are coming. He's in a walled city, and so he asks. Now he does the right thing. He sinks God's will in the matter. He prays before the Lord, leans into the Lord in faith. That's critical in the midst of bitterness. Go to the Lord. Trust the Lord. Don't implement your agenda in life. Imp replace your agenda with God's agenda. How do you know that? By seeking his face, reading his word. He'll lead you. And so we ask the Lord, Lord, if I stay here behind these protective walls, will the men of the city of Keilah, will they deliver me over the Philistines? The Lord says, yes. David leaves. He's delivered. He was in a tight place. He was between a rock and a hard place. In a walled city and the Philistines, and he flees. In the wilderness of Ziph, on the hill of Hakula. Now, this is, this is what the Lord does. Saul discovers him there, and God moves David to the other side of the mountain. He gets direction. Now David's leaning into the Lord, and God's directing him. God's moving him. 
and he moves him and they move on that hill they move parallel to each other Saul moves on one side of the mount David moves on the other side of the mount they're going together God keeps them separate by the providential care you can count on the providence of God in your life now listen we in an effort, we in an effort sometimes in the old Baptist to make sure that everybody understands that we're not absoluters and fatalists. We don't stress the providence of God as much as we should. But I'm telling you, you can trust God to take care of you as you trust him. You can. He will. He's going to. And so he goes on. He's in the wilderness of Moan. Saul's on one side of the mountain, David's on the other side of the mountain, except this time it looks like Saul's get around and get to him. He's still leaning into the Lord, and God takes down the hedge against Israel, lets the Philistines come. Saul gets word just in the nick of time. He has to turn back and go pursue the Philistines instead of pursuing David. It's amazing. They go down, um, Saul comes back again. I love this. Saul comes back again. David cuts off a piece of the garment of Saul. That means he gets a drop on him whenever they're asleep at night. And uh, in the cave of Engedi, and David's men in the sides of the cave, and Saul has bedded down in the same cave, and David's listening to the voice of her. He's listening to the breath of his pursuer and sleep that night, and they, and they slip out. That's how close they are. They slip out by the providence of God. I mean, just another narrow escape. God didn't say there wasn't going to be some close calls, but you can trust him in close calls. Back at Hakula again, in the wilderness of Ziph, David and his armor bearer go to the place where Saul is laying at night, and they take his spear. Saul will never again pursue David after this. But listen to this. David feels like his death is at now, he's never going to pursue David again after this. Listen to what he says after this. It's coming to an end. We know that. We get to see behind the curtains. It's coming to an end. 1 Samuel 26, 25. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt both do great things, and thou shalt prevail. And so David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. Now, that's the end of the 26th chapter. And I like the chapter and verse delineations in the Word of God. That's how I know where to go. But they weren't there originally. And sometimes it breaks up the thought. You think that it ends there. It doesn't end there. Listen. Now, it's clear from what I just read to you that it's over. Saul says it's over. Blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt do great things. Thou shalt... Prevail. Saul says, I'm through. You're nobler than I am. God's going to bless you. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to harm you. It's over. Truce. And it was. And so, of course, you know, David looks back and he can see the providence of God, right? We just talked about all those providential interventions when there's just a step between David and death, just in the nick of time. I'm on one side of the mountain. Saul's on the other side of the mountain. God continuously, providentially, uh, supernaturally, above nature, intervening so David would have great confidence. No reason not to believe now that it's over with. And here's what David says. The next thing he says after that, and David said in his heart, God has been great. He's blessed me. He's taken care of me, right? David said, 
I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. <laughs> that is so us, isn't it? I just, I'm telling you, I just, I, 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 it just can't be true. I, we just, we, I've just, it, it's just not going to work out. I know it's just finally going to overcome. It's going to get the best of me. You've been around those folks. I'm not kidding you. We had a sister at McClenny Church. It's, you know, back in my 20s, many, many years ago. She was so precious. She was precious. We loved her, and she loved us, and she was a mother to all of us, but she was a professional worry ward. It didn't matter about She loved to hear the promises of God, and she'd go out and start fretting right away. She, I think she went to class for it. And I never will forget, I stood up and... Um, and I announced, and this is where David is right now. This is where we are. You can have, you can have so many circumstances till you see a booger behind every bush. Amen? <laughs> so many problems in life. So much brokenness. So we just believe it's got to be brokenness. It's got to be problems. And let me say, this sister had had that. And her experience was being informed by the previous trauma of her life. She'd had so much trauma, she just couldn't put it behind her. And so whenever I stood up that morning, we'd had an abundance of uh, in-gathering that year in the church and it looked like every every song had the spirit of God in it and every prayer that was prayed was like incense going up on the golden altar of heaven and every brother that got up to preach was preaching the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ out and I got up at the end of this sermon I said folks it doesn't get any better than this God has blessed us we're walking on the high places of the earth I don't know of any problems that we have God is mighty he's doing great things among us we just need to thank him and everybody say amen we walked outside, and she came up to me. And that's the way David should have been right here. She walked up to me, and she said, Now listen, Brother David, I know everything you said is the truth. And that's just the way she sounded. I'm not mocking. I know everything you said. I always had a little whine to her. And uh, it's the truth. I know it's the truth that... The Lord's blessing, it's as good as I've ever seen it. And she said, and that's what worries me. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. That's what worries me. I just know it can't stay that way. Something's going to happen. The sword's over our head and the shoe's going to drop. And I just, uh, and David said, and I know one day I'm going to perish by the hand of Saul. I know God's been so good and nobody's ever been delivered like I've been delivered with a great and uplift hand. And, we just need to trust God. He is the God of tight places. Now, very quickly, and very, very, very quickly, um, that's the Old Testament, New Testament. Brother Chris, give, give me about five minutes, okay? New Testament. Let me tell you one of the most heartbreaking tight places I've ever read of in the Word of God. That's the Old Testament. Jesus will come in the New Testament. He's still the God of large places, tight places. This is one of the most heartbreaking high, high places. You know, I've stood over the uh, I stood over the crib of that boy that we prayed for for years. I stood over his crib in a neonatal unit, intensive care. Him on a respirator, fighting for his life. He's two months old. Eat up with RSV. You know, and I that's that's horrible for you know. It's tough on parents. I try to breathe for him, and it take my breath away. And it was just so. Oh, it was tight. Let me tell you, this place right here that I'm going to read, here's a father that's in a tighter place than that. It's bad for your child to have disease, isn't it? But what if your child is possessed with the demonic hordes of hell? Can you imagine that? 
What if you knew laying down in your night, every night of your life in your home, that your little boy was going to sleep with demons inside of him? I can't think of a tighter place, can you? And so, one of the multitude answered Jesus and said in Mark 9, Master, I brought my son, which hath a dumb spirit, a demon. And whithersoever he taketh him, that is, wherever the, the demon's driving him, whithersoever this demon drives my son, he tears him, and my son foams at the mouth, and he gnashes with his teeth, and he's pining away. And they brought the boy, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. Let me tell you, Satan is not your friend, young folks. He's here to tear and destroy. This world is not your friend, and the world is his henchman. This demon tore him, and he fell on the ground, wallowing and foaming. And Jesus asked his father, how long ago it is since this came to him? And he said, since he was just a child. Satan, how brutal is he? Since he was just a child. And he says, oft times it, that is the demons, cast him in the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion upon us. Lord, we're in a tight place. We've been in a tight place. He's the God of tight places. Jesus said, if thou canst, if I like, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. You know, and you hear the guys on television, if you'll just have faith, if you'll just believe, and that's great, but I'm a human being. Sometimes my faith gets weak. And so this man says what we've all said in our lives. Lord, I do believe. And let me tell you all, I do believe. But help thou my unbelief. He remembers your frame. He knows that you're but dust. You can tell him how it is with you when you're in tight places. I'm struggling, Lord. I have doubts. I have fears. He's compassionate. He cares. You can really speak to him what's going on and he'll hear compassionately. He's the God of tight places and he that spoiled principalities and powers banished that demon. The leper in Luke chapter 5 verse 12. You know, in the Old Testament they've given the law of cleansing of lepers. I don't have record of one Israelite in the Old Testament ever being healed of leprosy. Though there was a law for it. But there's no record in the Old Testament. It was an incurable, overwhelming disease. And here the Son of God shows up. Now that's a tight place if you're a leopard. You're banished from your, you're banished from your family. You're banished from the worship of God. And here it is. And Jesus shows up and he heals the leper. The widow of Nain. She's in a tight place. If you're a widow, you have no husband. Your son's dead. They don't have social security back then. Her visible means of support is being carried out on that funeral stretcher. And Jesus shows up and touches the bear. And that boy gets up to take care of his mama. Jesus was not a friend of funeral directors and undertakers. He broke up every funeral he ever attended. They were not for him. <laughs> and then, of course... 
one of the tightest places, and this is the last thing we have to share, one of the tightest places. They bring to Jesus in John's gospel a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And they come to Jesus, and I believe, I do, I believe somehow, that as they bring her to him, to see this compassionate, this compassionate, itinerant peasant preacher from the hills of northern Galilee who's been preaching forgiveness and compassion, they bring him to her. Those vicious vipers bring him to her. And I believe they showed up probably and had their rocks in their hands. And now what are you going to do? Whenever I was young, we used to hunt bobcats. And we used big packs of walker hounds. And the walker hounds would circle the bobcat when they caught up to him. Sometimes it worked out well for the walkers, and sometimes it worked out well for the bobcats. Those are tough animals. But usually, when they'd circle that bobcat, you could see that bobcat couldn't quit moving, always looking for a way out, looking for a crack in the pad, looking for a way. I, I just somehow imagined that's the way the panicked heart. This one, there's no question whether she's guilty. She's in a tight place. Amen? She's looking for a way out, isn't she? She knows those rocks are about to fly. But Jesus is able to deliver her from a tight place to a large place. And here's the reason Jesus is going to deliver you into a large place. Because when that woman deserved a tight place, she's delivered into a large place because Jesus went to a tight place. He went to the cross. There was no coming down for him. There was no large place at Calvary for him. From below, the malice and the avarice, the meanness of men and devils would come into his body. And from above, the word of God says that his father sent fire into his bones. And there he stayed in a tight place. And when he cried out for his father, my God, for the first time in eternity, the father is silent. And the angels don't come to strengthen him. He's in a tight place on the cross. And because he went to a tight place, you can believe you're always going to a large place. You say, but no, my, my husband was sick, my wife was ill, my, my brother-in-law was sick, and, and we prayed, and we prayed, and he prayed. We were in a tight place, and then he died. I can't think of a larger place than heaven. Can you? <laughs> He's the God of large places. If you're in a tight place, you can trust him. May God bless you and keep you.